Byron, Mississippi. It's Lakeshore Church. Would you stand? Let's, let's read these two verses. I pray and you can be seated. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. My words to be yours, my thoughts to be yours, and most of all, every one of us, beginning with me, would walk in obedience to what this means for us when it comes to church. I pray, Lord, already in advance what you're going to do as we're obedient to you. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory, for we ask you to pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Let me tell you a story early in ministry um, where, where the sermon title came about. I, I heard this. It's not original with me, but I owned it as a church. Uh, you might not know this, but uh, I don't know, about 12 years ago, we went from, from pastoring in the country for 25 years to pastoring in a metropolitan area. Uh, what I mean by that is most people in here would know where Byram is. You're sitting in it. But if you're just driving through, you really don't know where Jackson stops and Byram starts. We would be considered in the metroplex, if you will, if that's the right word, or the outskirts. And we would be part of the Jackson area. I don't think that applies. If you keep going south, you, you sort of get into the country. But that's not true for Byram. It's pretty much populated and, and developed all the way to here. And early in ministry... Uh, I saw and heard this saying and, and captured my own because I haven't always pastored in this kind of arena, all right? And the saying is this, there's no other place like this place, and this applied for those other churches I pastored, two others, are near this place, so you must be, this must be the place. See, we pastor a church now. We've had people that have literally come to the church. They just got relocated. They loved the church, and they were not in their job six months to a year, and they got transit out somewhere else, transferred, and they were just transits. Uh, we live close enough to a big city and part of it that that's what happens. I pastored in the country for years. The people only quit coming to church. They either died or they got mad at the preacher. There, there, wasn't, a, there wasn't church shopping. You were pretty much there. You know, you're in the country and part of it. And so I love this saying, there's no other place like this place or near this place. I used to really you know that. This must be the place. People say, oh, it's too far. You know, we have people that relocate to Brandon or to Pearl and they go, it's just too far. And I used to tell folks, listen, it, it might only be 15 or 20 minutes, but you're going to sit in traffic for 15. It's just the day and age that we live in. There's so much going on. So what's happened is, is years ago, and some of you might not know this, but my wife is from Mississippi. And uh, we, we spent a lot of time in Mississippi even when I lived in Georgia. I mean, I had for 25 years of that, right at it, uh, off and on. But, but when we moved here, before we moved here, we would, we would go from Georgia to her folks. They live up in Otala County, the Kosciuszko area. And, and the way you do that is the way we do it. We were on Highway 80. You got to Meridian, Mississippi. You could either stay on I-20 and go over to Forest and go up 35 through Carthage. You didn't know I knew so much, did you? Or you could get off at Meridian. And if you got off at Meridian, halfway there you, from Meridian to where we, our destination, you went through Philadelphia, Mississippi. Um, it, just to make you feel better, there was no casino in a lot of those years, all right? I'm going to even just joke. I got too much to say to even joke around. But I was going through downtown Philadelphia, Mississippi one day, and above a barber shop, above the porch on the front of the little building, this saying was there. On his barber shop, this guy said, there's no other place like this place or near this place, so this must be the place. What a great reminder for us when, when it comes to our view of church, that there's no other place like this place, a place where we meet God, 
I, I, dare, I, I would compete with anybody here. The greatest things in your life happen in church. Greatest things in your life. Greatest things in my life happen in church. I was saved in church. <laughs> I was called to preach in a, in a church activity, in a church event, in camp meeting. Hmm? I committed my all to Christ. I wanted him to be the Lord of my life in a church just like this. I stood publicly before God and everybody uh, many, many years ago, coming up on an anniversary in just over a month, before Suzanne, 34 years, last day of September, 33 plus years ago, I stood publicly and committed my all, made vows before God and everybody and family that Suzanne would, and, and I would work it out, stay together, love each other, and we still do. It's amazing. Stood publicly three times. God gave me three kids and dedicated them to the Lord. I walked through some things a couple of years ago about that. I prayed prayers. God, we gave him to you. So if you're taking him, you got to help me. If you don't take him, you got to help me. You follow me? Greatest things in my life have happened. Hundreds of times I prayed with people at altars. Hundreds of times I've helped people find Christ as their Savior, helped them find him as his Lord, and pray through about things. Got things I'm praying for right now. Occasionally I'll walk through the sanctuary in the darkness, and I'll just lift up things to the Lord. Greatest things in our life happen at church, and don't you ever forget it. Today it's not like everywhere else. Church is not Walmart. No, church is not that. Church is not a grocery store. It's not some chain of events. No, no, church is a place where we meet God. <laughs> Good stuff. Secondly, there's no substitute for connecting and conversing with God. Call it prayer. Thirdly, it's not about me. It's not about me. You need to hear this. I'm sitting up on this stage. It's not about me. All I'm doing is fulfilling the call God put on my life. Just like every one of us are part of the body of Christ. We're all parts of it, members in particular. But all together, we make up the body of Christ. <laughs> Did you know that this passage, as strange and strong as it is, is the only identifying characteristic that Jesus ever applied to the church? He said, my house shall be a house of prayer. You would still know the name Mother Teresa, probably the greatest servant, one of the greatest servants ever to walk on the face of the earth. She said it this way. She said, prayer is the mortar that holds our house together. Oh, that's so good. That's rich. The summation of what was going on here is they were using the church for their own benefit. They were buying, they were selling animals to other people so that they could make sacrifice and atonement to God. Huh. It's amazing to me. On the back of others, this was occurring instead of being God's house. And that so applies to us. Hmm. I want to ask you, why are you here today? Are you here because you don't want to hear it from mom and daddy? You don't want to hear it from a spouse. You're trying to keep him or her happy. And so you're just accompanying them. How many of us all honestly, truly thought about coming today and connecting with our God? <laughs> that God's been stirring Daniel, and we've been having conversations along these lines, and I think you can see it with him, is that, folks, it's about our worship. It's about us connecting with God. It's about us expending energy during the week, and then I come in God's house, and I get filled up so that I can go out and expend again for him. It's not a hidden agenda. It's not Jay's way or the highway. It's about us meeting God and connecting with him and God filling us up so that I can be what God needs me to be. So I want to talk to you a few minutes today about the house, okay? This house, <laughs> the house that we're worshiping in today. And I'll give you several things. I'm going to scare you to death. You really, I got five points today. We're going to be here till Jesus comes back. This house first is the place of connection with God. <laughs> oh, Listen. There have been people that have prayed over this place this week. This morning I saw the prayer group come out of the prayer room. They prayed over you today. What in the world are we praying? And I often remind Miss Angie of this. We pray for agreement. We, we agree. And what are we agreeing? We're agreeing that God will be in the place. 
The people would come face to face, however that looks, whether it's through worship, maybe it's through the love of someone else that you see Jesus in, that they cared enough to encourage you and walk beside you through something. Or it's the worship within our things, or maybe it's the preaching of God's word that people come face to face with him. Let me show you one. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says this, for there were two or three gathered together. How? In my name, I'm there in the midst among them. You know, um, and like I say, I, I, I said this, say this saying, I got to get away from it, but I, I get myself in trouble some of the stuff I say, but it is cutting edge. We need to understand it. Several years ago, I preached a revival and I won't even tell you what state it was in. I preached a revival and it was one of those revivals where I started on Sunday and went all the way to Friday night. It was like six or seven sermons time together. And about halfway through the week, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And, and, and yes, I took responsibility. I began to think, what, what am I doing wrong? I mean, it was just cold now. The worship was cold, the people were cold, the church was cold, and it was like if I preached something come out of my mouth and it was like it was just going two feet and hitting the floor. Nobody was receiving it. Very few amens. There was no, it was just no camaraderie. There wasn't worship like we experienced today. It was just cold. I wonder what, what I began to pray about it. Lord, am I missing it? Is it me? Finally asked the pastor, and he said, I wasn't going to say anything to you. And he became emotional. He said, my church is split. They just still come to church together. Said, so I got four or five things going on in the church where people literally hate each other. They come in the church, if somebody's sitting over here, one goes and sits over there. They don't have anything to do with each other. And then they think we're going to have church. <laughs> and it broke my heart, but it made sense. You ever been to a dead, dried, cold church? See, sometimes we need to realize, folks, it's not just the personality of the church sometimes. Sometimes we told God, we don't want you here. Sometimes our agenda we put in front of God's agenda, and God doesn't play that game. He will never be second to anybody. You hear me? He's creator and we're creation. And when we start putting creation in front of the creator, we're in trouble. <laughs> Pretty good. We need to be reminded of that. This is a place of connecting with God. Huh. Having an encounter. I don't know if you realize this, but the, the whole underlying uh, reality of the entire Bible is about encounters with God. Old Testament, New Testament alike. And the reason I mention that to you is all that we desire to happen today is for you to have an encounter with Almighty God. It's not, yes, all of it goes together, but if you don't come face to face with where you are with him and you don't see him and experience him, then I got to say for me, I've failed as a leader if that doesn't happen. I know it does because people tell us that often. Oswald Chambers, one of my heroes of the faith, amazing story, died in his 40s, I think, and his wife had his, his writings and his journal entries published, became my utmost for his highest, one of the greatest selling devotional books of all time, if not the number one. He said this, he said, how God works in answer to prayer is a mystery that logic cannot penetrate, but that he does work in answer to prayer is gloriously true. The moment that we think that, well, prayer is just take it or leave it, then we're missing the boat on this. It's about connection with God. Secondly, not only connection, but it's also a place of conversation with God. <laughs> Again, strange but true, but Jesus started this off with them. Think about this. They had to think he's on an ego trip. He put authority and he put ownership to the house. He said, my house. Man, that had to be strange. That had to cause an uproar. My house shall be called a house of prayer. We all need to hear this, and you need to hear me say this as a pastor. We all need to be reminded that this place is Jesus' house. Amen? Huh. And he also said that my house shall be a house of prayer. Now, this is unique to humanity, the way God made us, but the only way to truly know how someone feels is to tell them. They might be having a stomach ache and you think they're mad at you. They might have a snarl on their face because they have their innards are hurting. 
And we look at them like we've done something wrong. The only way for you to know is to communicate it. Now listen to this. There's no doubt in my mind that God is omniscient. He knows tomorrow, today. (laughs) That's way beyond our pay grade, amen? And intellectual ability. I believe with everything about me that God is omniscient. He knows. He knows what you're going through right now, but he still wants to hear it. He still wants you to talk to him about it. And I believe some of that is because God wants a relationship with us. He started out that way with Adam and Eve and sin messed it up. He desired just to come in the cool of the day and have a relationship with Adam and Eve. And the enemy messed it up and it's been messed up ever since. But I've got great news for you. Jesus is fixing it. And one day it's going to be fixed for all eternity. And so I want you to understand, he he knows. But he wants us to communicate it to him. And I believe this is everything about me. What gets talked about gets done. Amen? In other words, what you pray about affects the rest of your life. And it even changes your behaviors if necessary. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Think about that. Preacher, what does that mean? I mean, I ride down the, car, ride down the road with my head bowed, praying while I drive my car to work. Now, let me tell you my, where, just where it means something to me. You called me this week, and we've got a lot. I could name about eight or ten right now that are going through some major things in affiliation with our church, that are affiliated with our church. Names that I called this morning in our prayer time at the end. Some people that are really going through it. And things that you think one way it's going to work out one way and something changes and all of a sudden we're carrying this burden and it's bigger than us and we're adjusting to things that we don't ever want to go through. But you know what pray without ceasing means to me? You called me this week and said, Preacher, as my pastor, I want you to agree with me about something. I'm going through something. Would you pray with me? There's not a time that somebody asked me to pray that very seldom do I not have this thought, will God hear my prayer if if I pray? You might not understand this biblical understanding, but it's in the Bible. People say, oh, God hears me every time I pray. No, 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 no. I've only got one wife, so I talk to her. I, you know, I have to tell, her, tell you about her. Suzanne and I don't hear each other when, when we're not in the right place with each other. Amen? My kids, they don't hear me, and I don't hear them when we're not in the right place with each other. We don't. Mm-mm. And the Scripture says, the psalmist wrote it in Psalm 66, 18, that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear my prayers. And see, some people have a hard time facilitating that. Some people think it's just blind allegiance that God's going to do this. No, 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 no. If there's a breach between God and me, God's not hearing me. He's not going to hear me until I get the breach straight. (laughs) That's what he's waiting for. Just like our families, it works the same way. If you and I have a difficulty with each other, I know that would never happen. But if we have a difficulty with each other, we're only going to start hearing each other again after we get it right. God's only going to hear us in the capacity which we need him to hear us when we get it right. And let me tell you what's great news too, is that God is sinless. (laughs) So it's never God's fault. It's always in my fault. So I know how to deal with it. That's great news. Place of conversation with God. Here, Leonard Ravenhill, another one of my heroes, he said it this way, a sinning man will stop praying and a praying man will stop sinning. Hmm. The reason I love Leonard Ravenhill, I love sayings, I love colloquials, I love one-liners. Leonard Ravenhill was a master at one-liners, just like this one. I've noticed in my own life, go back and analyze it, when I'm not living like I need to live and God's chasing me, I'm not really fervent in God's word. (laughs) I don't pray like I need to when I'm dogging it. Am I in your kitchen yet? Because a sinning man will stop praying. Why would I go in my closet if I know I'm not right with God if I'm not ready to get it right? (laughs) But a person who's praying and getting closer to God will stop sinning. It's a far cry from sin and religion that we're promoting today. 
Many are. Hmm. Give you three more. Listen, number three is this. It's also a place of contentment. I love this. It went over in the first service pretty well. Do y'all remember the, the, the day of the formal living room? Most people build houses today, don't spend that extra money to have the formal living room. I pastored long enough that I remember houses that just about every one of them had a formal living. Y'all remember, it's usually in the front of the house. It's usually the uncomfortable furniture. You know what I'm talking about? There's no recliners in the formal living room. You, you know that what I know about formal living rooms, that if a family escorts you to the formal living room to visit with them, they don't want you to stay long. Because you've got pillows all over the couch and you're sitting around on pillows and there's no, it's no comfort. It's all just, I mean, it's formal. And it's usually the cleanest room in the house. They won't let you go in that torn up den. But you know, I thought about, I want to spin this a, di- a little different way. He said a den of thieves. He said a negative place. You've made this a negative place of sin instead of being a godly place of house of prayer. And I thought about the den. This is this point. God expects for Lakeshore Lakeshore Church to have an element of contentment to her. That when people come in the door, it's not a place of contention. Let me help you out, church. If you have contention with somebody and you know it, you need to get it right. I said you need to get it right. That's biblical. You have all against your brother, you go to him. The scripture says as much as possible within you, live peaceably among all men. We're supposed to be content. We're supposed, Paul said that, whatsoever state I felt inside myself, there was to be content. It should be a place of contentment. It shouldn't be a formal living room where we're so, you know, dried out and so formal. I think it needs to be a den. I, I, I really, I, listen, this is on my heart. It shouldn't be so formal. It should be about relaxation. I believe that's what the Garden of Eden was. They had work to do. God would come in the cool of the day and walk among them. What a view, what a, what a picture. It's a picture of heaven too, by the way. <laughs> Another great verse is Exodus 33, uh, verse 11. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face. There's that word again. Just as a man speaks to his friend. <laughs> wow. Think about a place of contentment. It'd be great to think about you can have a relationship with God that you don't think God's after you all the time that you can sense God put his arms around you. Huh, place of contentment. Well, I'm fixing to undo that point with this fourth one. It's also a place of correction. My house will be a house of prayer. It's also a place of correction. We don't hear this much. I can watch televangelists and preachers and listen to them. I can listen to their podcast. I can, I can go on any form of media. And you know, very seldom do I hear this word talked about. And the word is conviction. What happened to that word? Hmm? What happened when we come in God's house and God speaks to us about things and we get things right with him? How did we get so good that we can gloss over stuff in our life as not being that bad, but yet you sit in an environment like this and God knocks on your door and God shows you things are not, in your, in, are not right and we don't get it right and we don't change our life. And then we think we can get it right at our bedside. I still believe in an altar. I still believe that Jesus said, profess me before men and I will profess you before the Father. I do believe that still works at the altar. I do believe the greatest things in our life happen at the altar. And we need to realize that is for me today, no matter how long I've known the Lord, if God shows me where I messed up, I need to fix it with him and fix it with someone else if necessary. It's good preaching. You still with me? No, I turned you off about five minutes ago. God reveals something to us that's not right, and we get it right because God convicted us. 
And you know what we've done today? Well, I don't like that now. I feel too bad. A friend of mine growing up where we went to church, he said, I don't like going to your church. I feel too bad when I go to your church. I said, what about your church? He said, I don't feel bad when I go to my church. Dead, dead, dead. Conviction. Let me show it to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. <laughs> For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he punishes every son he receives. What? I thought he was a God of love. He is. Mm. Listen. You ever been to a restaurant when there was a two or three-year-old that was running the table and they were sitting near you? You didn't have much money. You had saved up. You were having a date night and somebody decided to put their brat right beside you. Did you ever, have you ever sat there and had this feeling like God's calling me to take that child outside and beat them for all those times I should have beat my children more? I'm, I'm connecting with you, aren't I? But I don't want to hurt you too bad. But isn't that church? Isn't it, hadn't there been times that people throw fits like a brat and want to have their way, make sure everybody sees them like the child sitting at the table? And we're in God's house, and it's not about Jay, it's about God. And I don't want to fix anything in my life, but I don't want everybody else to legitimize it and say it's okay that I act like the devil or talk like him. No. I need to mirror him. Don't want to hurt you, but it's what I'm saying. It's, okay. it's also a place I'm of correction. I'm at the desk. When There's you sit a here, lot of noise here. He gets, everybody's got to listen so to him, and I'm they laugh at him, and they amen. What's the other all part that of about? The room. It's about a so time I'm that we dig into God's Word, and God shows us where we are with Him. And if I don't measure up, God helped me in your grace to start first. measuring up and to get it right in my life, those things so that you convict me about. And yet we've gotten so, oh, Lord, if, if, if we preach like that, lobby, people be convicted. They don't want to come anymore. They want to go two, somewhere. Three. And you know what it says? It says the church of the end age, that they will have itching ears. And I'm back in the studio. If you go, they want fables the and good stories. They want to laugh, but they don't want the conviction of Almighty God on their life. if I'm doing And that's sad. Because if I'm not convicted, I won't change. And I if I don't change, people won't see Christ in my life. What we're trying to do and I spend all my time legitimizing sin in my life instead of being convicted and corrected by Almighty God. On a college level. A place of correction. <laughs> Remember, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the Robert truth, and, and the life. Lots more. Remember, don't you? These productions. You know what like he is? When you get together like this, isn't it amazing how God's been reading your mail? Because <laughs> he's truth. When you pick up the word of God, isn't it amazing? You can fool me and her and everybody else, but you can't fool God. The office. Because it's a place of correction. Good stuff. I got one more for you. It's also a place of control. <laughs> this will blow your mind what I'm fixing to tell you now. And we control it, too. Isn't it amazing how much here. God left us in control? And let's see how quiet Tell the disciples, I'm going. Guys, y'all got to go get it done. Go wait 10 days. You're going to be endued with power. You're going to be the leaders. You're going to be the apostles. You're going to be the future church. Go do it. Left them in control. And we're having some sound bounce off. How can it be that simple? It's a place of control. It really is. Here's where we are. No matter if I know you or not. Try to do that. Everybody knows you. Nobody knows. Your life right now, where you are, is based on the decisions that you've made that I've made in my life. And recording the Just sound basically right The problem here. occurs when the flesh By is put face, ahead 
of the Spirit. You remember the two natures? Remember the prayer that I pray on a regular basis? God, all I want today is my spiritual nature, born in Christ, born again in Christ. I want my spiritual nature to win over my sinful nature. This is with the noise canceling off. You're going to have your sinful nature that you were born with, passed down from Adam. You're going to have that until you step out of this life. And the noise can't. So our desire is, is to go to heaven. You have to have two natures. You have to be born again. So you have this war, as Paul talked about. You have this sinful nature, this war with the spiritual nature. Do you want to restart and install these updates now? And that's what's going on. Let me show it to you in in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. It says, the mindset of the flesh flesh is hostile to God. Until you start again. The enemy. Think about that now. Some of these My flesh is the enemy of God. In other words, once it becomes about Jay... God said, I'll catch now you when you get it right. In the chair. Once it's got to be my way or the highway, over a period God of said, days, well, if he doesn't need a desk, I, I, I'll work when you get it right. We can give him the last desk. Because it does not submit to God's with his feet law. Out. See, today, Testing you one, either two, live for God. I wrote it down in my notes this way. It's either Testing live for God one, or Jay wins. Two, That's it. So much okay. in our world, it, it applies to this. I'm not going to get out in the weeds and get out on soapboxes, but listen to me very carefully. All the stuff that's going on, homosexual community, all the stuff that's going on with gender identity, on and on. I can show it to you, folks. It says we changed God. We didn't want to do it the way God said to do it. We want to do it our own way. And now we've come up with all kind of great educational, intellectual thinking that puts these, these irons in the fire and puts these wrenches into the cog. And then we've come up with this new way of thinking. And I got 10 of them I can tell you about today. But at the crux of it, the writer of Romans, Paul wrote it, that they changed God. We didn't keep God in his elevated place of high and holy that we worship today. We brought him down to level of men so that we think we're equal thinkers with God. Think about it, it's true. Now, the gender that you're born with, biologically that God gave you, now we're saying, no, no, we're not the gender we are until we identify. That child identifies with that gender, then they're that gender. Listen, huh? This is gonna hurt. I'm dumb, but I ain't plumb dumb. Hey, and we give credence to this. Books are being written, classes are being taught. People are saying that I'm the regressive instead of the progressive. That I need to wake up and realize this is a new day. That's not a new day. The same God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob is the same God today. Man has changed it. God hadn't changed. Oh, but we're in control. You control it. You want to be what God wants you to be? You control it. God set it up that way. It's called choice. If you don't want to live like God wants you to live and come up with all this kind of stuff and this intellectual stuff that's all out there, it's your choice. Hmm. One day we give an account for it. It is. You want me to tell you something? Prayer is the same thing. You know what prayer is? You know what prayer does? This is what prayer says. Prayer says, me praying says, I'm not in control. (laughs) God, I need your help. God, I can't be forgiven. I can't spend eternity in heaven. I can't be right unless you impart me with righteousness. I'm not in control. God, I can't make it through this tough thing I'm going through because I'm not able. But you are able. Paul wrote it that you are able. He is able to do exceeding abundantly more than I could ever ask or think of him and the powers within me. But the moment that Jay is elevated and God is is lowered, I'm in trouble. And I'm telling you, if that's not an indictment on our world today, and even the church, because it permeates the church, I wouldn't hurt anybody. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other people, okay? 
But I've had multiple conversations with people that affiliate with the Lakeshore Church that I'm going, God, they need your enlightenment because we've heard it out there so long that it has, it has taken the edge off of who we're supposed to be in Christ. In, in John chapter 2, this was, it says the Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changer sitting there. After making a whip out of the cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you? We are the temple of God. God resides in us.